Everyone, welcome back for one of our, if not the most important interview we're going to do over the course of the last of our of our session. Gold standard has been at the centre of the growth of the voluntary carbon markets over the course of the last 20 years. And it is very easy to sit back at all of us who are new to this ecosystem and to criticise incumbents as one does, but it is undeniable that we are where we are today because of the work of, of registries and verification companies that have done have really gotten us to where we, as I said, gotten us to where we are today. So Maggie Kim is probably somebody who needs no introduction. And Maggie, I'm going to get you to, to do yourself justice, more justice than I can by introducing yourself properly in, a, in just a in just a second. But Maggie, look, it's a, we've done, I think we're on to hour 23, I think we are, of, of, our, of our 28 hours of content. And in every single every single panel and individual conversation that we've had, gold standard name has come up, right? And it's because it is so essential to the ecosystem. But look, I mean, I don't have to tell you everything that the that you're evolving, the industry is evolving, technology is here and do we how we embrace it and what we need to do with it. And it's all part of this this evolution of over 20 years of great work that that gold standard have been doing and now through through Maggie's leadership taking it probably to uh, Another twenty years plus until hopefully we don't have to. Hopefully we don't even have to do this anymore, which is the, which is the end of the end objective is to put ourselves out of business. But Maggie, if you wouldn't know for if you wouldn't mind, just the the people who don't obviously know of you but don't know a little bit about your background, would you just share a little bit about that with us and and we can go from there? Sure, thanks, Paul. It's a great pleasure to be part of this interview. I'm the CEO of Gold Standard, and and as many of Gold Standards been established since 2003, where WWF and like-minded NGO groups have established a standard, gold standard, to ensure there's environmental integrity and maximize sustainable development in the carbon markets at the time. Of course, over the course of 19, 20 years, we've evolved and our standard has evolved. And now we're looking at becoming a, a global impact standard that not only looks at carbon markets, but also looking at various financial mechanisms to make sure that we can ensure transparency, credibility of the impact, impact claims, impact assets that come out of the journey. Got it. Let's start with some basics, if you wouldn't mind. So when you think about the issue of quality, and literally, we, the words that have been used most in the last couple of days, quality, integrity, transparency, all the, all the words that you, you, you probably spend your day dealing with. Talk a little bit about what the gold standard framework is for quality. How do you, how do you think about a quality, a quality offset and what needs to be achieved to, for you to put your stamp on a quality offset? So here, I, I want to make sure that we we clarify that gold standards framework doesn't exist only for offset, and and there's a lot of conflation around the concept of offsetting and the concept of carbon markets. It's not exactly the same thing. So. Offsetting can be one of the ways to use carbon markets, but not necessarily the whole purpose of carbon markets or the market mechanisms. So I'm sure you've heard from others along the way around integrity, but, but basically what we're trying to ensure is a carbon credit or, or an impact claim that we certify and, and we put a stamp to it that is real, additional, not double counted, properly consulting 
the local stakeholders of the project sites and making sure that it, it contributes towards a number of uh, sustainable development goals. So, of course, this is a way simply put to all the science and analysis that goes behind it. But to really understand is there there's clear safeguarding principles that you need to follow in order to be gold standard. There are clear sustainable development measures that you need to follow and report on in order to qualify as as gold standard, in addition to the additionality and the baseline setting and, and all the all the integrity measures that other standards also have. Got it. Let's sort of delve into the sort of the, I wouldn't have called it the elephant in the room, but I think it's the the thing that we talk about, the thing we certainly talked about most is the whole goal of scale. That as we stand right now, I was told this morning that if you take every if you add up every credit out there at every on every registry, it works works out to about four days worth of four days worth of emissions, right? It's a number because again, we just this this industry is still growing, and the reason the reason we called this event a gold rush, and Maggie, I know I'm on the right track because I've annoyed it. This this title's annoyed everybody, right? It's annoying the service providers that think that make it look bad, and it's annoying climate people who think we're just abusing this for profit. So I think in this context, I think that's it's a good one because we are growing exponentially. We are under-regulated. Um, there's not many asset asset industries out there that don't have a formal regulator, and whether ICBCM becomes that. Is it? Is it whatever? Whoever that is, right? For me, I think the issue of scale is obviously really important because we're not going to get to our, our get to the Paris goals offsetting four four days worth four days worth of four days worth of emissions, right? So, how do you think about scale? How do you think about the inevitability? Is it inevitable that quality will fall if we scale? Is that necessarily the case? How do you think about scaling this to being, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, 150 million tonnes currently to, to, mul- to multiples of that by 2030? I think, Paul, you're spot on on your observation. I say this all the time in my public engagements, is that if we think about what the world needs to achieve a sustainable future and to achieve the Paris Agreement and the global goals, the sustainable development goals, we need trillions of dollars invested. And and carbon markets right now in its form is a very small drop in the bucket. And of course, I, I really appreciate the fact that the carbon market's getting that attention and there are a lot of global efforts to scale the market. But what is the purpose of the market? And, and I've always seen the market as a catalytic tool to drive further private finance, private sector investment. So on its own, as a market, can't solve all problems, as, as you clearly noted. It will not solve even half of the problems we have. So what does it mean to scale? So that, that's a big question to myself as well, to gold standard as well. Where's our ambition? How much do we need to scale in order to achieve what purpose? What purpose? Because scale is not a value in itself. And, and it has to come with something that delivers mitigation and does not disrupt or deter other mitigation or, or importantly, regulation, right? So, so there's, there's pressure on scale, which I fully align with but it should not come at the expense of environmental integrity. 
And and I, I mentioned this earlier that offsetting is not the the only purpose of carbon markets. Then offsetting done badly is harmful. So again, there are a lot of attention and criticism around the current market, but is it the market that's doing bad, or is it the use of market that's doing harm? So that's another conflation that often a lot of people have. We heard from John Oliver's HBO clip the, a few weeks ago that yeah. talks about the market as a whole. But but it's you really need to break it down because it it's not the offsetting is a use of market mechanism, and and if if the offsetter or the buyer misuses it, that's sort of having a ripple effect on the reputation of the market. Because I talk about this all the time, we cannot underestimate the 20 years of history that these independent standards have filled a policy void to catalyze action, right? That that would not have otherwise happened. And there has been numbers of innovation that came through this market over the last 20 years. And I'm not saying the market's perfect or the standards are perfect. We're we're learning as we go, we're evolving and we're improving as we go. So for example, just to give you an example, people said sustainable development was too complex that that only a single metric of carbon could be accounted for in, in any material way. But gold standard proved it wrong. And now everyone's embedding sustainable development as a prerequisite to to credibility in carbon markets from article 6 to now the the ccps by icbcm so so there's there's involvement and and if you talk to all these project developers they are in the frontier in in innovation in in driving technology but those often get sort of swept under the the rug when we get criticized as a as a market as a whole so so i think it's really important to understand that that it's an evolving market and I, and I welcome the the global efforts in in creating a floor and I, I say floor to what carbon credit should be what the core carbon principle should be yep. and 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 really from there we need to find ways to differentiate quality differentiate mm-hmm. the benefits that's going to the ground the sustainable development impact that's happening on the ground so it's not a simple metric but really multifaceted way of, of, of evolving. Right. So part of that evolution is the core, I would argue, is the core carbon principles. And I think I was talking to Chris, talking to Chris Leeds earlier today, and we've got Annette and some four of the board speaking at the end of this session. The how important is the so is well, I'll use this. If you simplify with core carbon principles, and then you can argue that that is part of the process, which is a benefit because it is a complicated, we have a complicated ecosystem, right? How important are those core carbon principles to establish a quality floor that we can be comfortable with going forward? I think it's a it's a good measure. And I, I said I welcome setting that quality floor, but I I want to highlight that it should be seen as a quality floor and it should not encourage race to the bottom or the floor, that all standards, all actors in the industry should strive for more, right? It's, It's much easier said than done. And that's where my challenge and fear is around 
even with sound environmental integrity, let's say by carbon core carbon principles and, and what other standards, including gold standard is, is setting, there is still a risk of over commodification where we revert to looking only at carbon or a type of carbon that's in vogue. So high impact projects that, that deliver, for example, a lot of the community-based services that deliver core services like clean energy, clean water, clean cooking could become uncompetitive un in this highly commodified market. So, so how do we ensure that we safeguard those projects to deliver those real impact on the ground without being overly commodified? Right. So again, Maggie, I think we can use the words interchangeably between financialization, standardization, commoditization. We can use them. One thing I'm I'm really nervous about longer term is that we have had that we're in the end of a gold a golden age for quality of, of, of offsets. And my big concern comes from SEC disclosures. That the moment that the, the moment the SEC turns around to Amer to US public companies, and whether that spreads to the UK, Australia, Canada, wherever, that the moment that a corporate is told to it needs to disclose its scope three emissions, then the natural tendency is for the use of offsets, which sits in sustainability in the sustainability department now, who takes co-benefits very seriously that that moves across to a Treasury function where the Treasury Department just turns around and says, we have an objective here and we've got to find, we've disclosed X tonnes of carbon, we need to offset X tonnes of carbon and let's do it in the cheapest possible manner. Is our disclosure requirements like that a threat to sustainable developments and to co-benefits that have been it's the foundation of what you do is to ensure. I think you. It's three of the SDGs, SDGs that you need to, at a minimum, to to qualify. Is that is that now under threat? I always find threat to become an opportunity at at some point because, for example, what you described. I mean, ten years ago, sustainability divisions of large corporates were small. It was sort of almost ticking the boxes or doing the CS activities. Now it's really becoming a prominent function of many, many large corporates and leading corporates. That took us quite a few years to, to get there. And now you mentioned the, the role of treasury function within the corporate. I think that's, that's getting closer to real decision-making, right? So as much as it's a threat that, that some people people will take it as, okay, how can we offset with the cheapest option possible? It could be seen as a, a truly decision-making measure that integrates into the corporate decision-making and their, their future business building. So for me, it, it really, there's a lot of pressures that, that corporates will get, not only from the regulators, but also from consumers and investors. Then, I mean, if those are disclosed and monitored, then investors and the, the, the top management need to put pressure on making sure that we're not doing it in a, in a cheapest way possible. So that will take another few years. We don't have those many years of luxury, but it will take a few years for those behavioral changes to take place. So for me, I, of course, I am worried 
and and the market will be used in that context. As I said, we shouldn't conflate the offsetters versus the market itself, but the market will be used in that context. But we need to put pressure as as a global community. So it's not just standards, but also NGOs, consumers, shareholders need to put pressure that that's not the most responsible way of offsetting. So hopefully the fact that it can be treated under treasury function, for me, that's getting closer to critical decision-making of a corporate. But if misused, it will be misused. So, So there is equal level of opportunity for me as well as risk in that in that sort of change going forward right do you ever see a time where you would with that you would approve a carbon only benefit credit which just there's no there's no other stgs there's no other it's one it's just a ton of carbon and nothing more but that won't be gold standard Right. No, no, just obviously that's obviously not, it's not in your DNA, but it's, do you, you see the point that if there's a demand out there for these, for pure carbon products, right, is that something you would ever, ever, ever consider? No. Right. No, simple answer, no, because sure, you can reduce, there can be mitigation impact, but what if it was at the expense of pushing out Indigenous people in the project site or cutting down energy access to certain communities around that or or doing harm in 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 biodiversity that that project site had i mean there's so many ways of you can't look at just mitigation okay these tons of carbon emissions were reduced did it do harm and is it permanent is it additional so there and and did we consult the local stakeholders that are affected by these projects so it's so simple to talk about carbon credit as one topic, but it, it involves so many people and stakeholders throughout the journey that all the project developers are working with. So it's not as simple as, okay, just mitigation done, full stop, and that will never be gold standard. Right. One of the things that is problematic for the tens of thousands of companies that have not started their journey using 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 offsets to be that bridge to a decarbonized supply chain future is the fact that we can't get any clarity on the price of a ton of carbon right so you've got nature-based solutions that you can buy for ten dollars a ton or if you want to go to iceland there's very unprofitable carbon capture facilities at seven hundred dollars a ton and if you're if you're a corporate thinking about this for the first time and you're thinking where do I spend my budget in terms of the R&D on decarbonizing my supply chain versus sequestration projects versus offset project? It's remarkably confusing for them. How do we get to a stage where we have some uniformity over what the price of carbon is, not taking into account different co-benefits and the like, but how do we get to a stage where we get further clarity on the pricing of carbon? Because I think, as the, so just to finish the point, as what we're seeing with the European the, the the crisis in European energy right now, does it really make a lot of sense that a nature based solution is ten dollars a ton? European ETS is trading violently between sixty and eighty dollars a ton. Yet the, the yet coal is in a we we're a golden age for coal in Europe because we haven't got a choice because of the geopolitical stresses we face. How do we square that circle? 
Oh God, if I can answer that in this <laughs> session, I think I, I'd be on, on quite a few media tomorrow morning. Um, I, it's an excellent question. I, I, I think the most important is I think the regulatory bodies have a huge role to play, right? Putting that that price, that carbon tax, and, and the corporates to integrate that into their budget systems and their planning processes. And I think the market has also played a significant role in putting that price to carbon. And of course, although it's voluntary, I think it's proven to date, I, I can't speak for the future, but to date that that these community services that are creating co-benefits have higher price, that are the projects that take longer time to, to build and, and do more local stakeholder consultations, like if these are pricey, these are more expensive to develop kind of projects. Then of course the market has responded to date with a high price. It's not sort of a one stakeholder fixes all kind of situation. There's a role of a regulatory body. There's a role that market mechanisms can play. There's a role that corporates can also play. And it's a really systemic sort of pressure that we need to put in order to increase the the price of carbon. Right. One of the many, many, many possible answers to the question of one of uniform pricing whether it's benchmarking, whether it's commoditization and the, the threats, obviously there's detriment to those. One of the arguments that gets made very, very long term is the convergence between, between compliance markets and voluntary markets. Singapore announced recently that if you are a Singaporean corporate and you want to be offsetting, that you can go out to international markets and 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 utilize effectively voluntary voluntary markets. But I think you can use European ETS or or whatever to, to do that. Big picture, is the convergence, the merger, whether it's 6.4 or whatever it is, is it inevitable that we have that the voluntary markets become compliance markets over time, whether that's whether whether we think about compliance as being stakeholder pressures or or from a regulatory standpoint, are we, is it destined to merge? I think gold standard has been sort of advocating or not advocating but but really communicating that blur between voluntary carbon market and compliance carbon market for a few years now if you think about it if we if we step back from this whole market discussion and just step back a little bit one ton is one ton whether that's in in suburb of Uganda, Kampala, Uganda, or versus one ton in Canada. I mean, we're talking about global crisis that we want to address. So where it comes from, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we, we really need to make sure we get to our target, right? So in, in that case, we basically talked about corresponding adjustment, which made us very popular in many areas sarcastically speaking, is more and more we're going to see blurry lines between between voluntary carbon market and, 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 and compliance markets. And for me, what's important is that what's gold standard in one market is the same gold standard in the other market. And that our users, the users of our standard, can have that flexibility in using different market mechanisms out there. 
And that's tracked clearly in our registry, for example, if it was used for Corsia purposes versus Article 6.2 purposes, that it's, it's noted so we avoid double counting and that people can track where it was used. So for me, I think it's, it's fair to say that, that we are more and more seeing that blur. And as national governments are, are looking into creating their domestic compliance markets, I mean, we're going to see that trend going forward. So I think the role of standards is, is, is be ready for that, is to be ready for that and for the users of the standard to have those options open as, as we need more finance going into these projects. Right. And and just on the point of global global challenges and global solutions, where does where do where does that leave the role of national sovereignty? We were speaking yesterday about, about national sovereignty and carbon as an asset, which you know that Brazil and Indonesia and many, many other countries have the have the right to preserve and utilize as they as they wish. The Paris Accord is a bottom-up agreement, which is designed for, for individual countries to be able to, to do good. But clearly you're seeing the Indian example of sort of banning the export of, of, of offsets is, is, is an example of, of resource sovereignty or taking back resource sovereignty, if you were to ask the Indian government about that. How do you think about that? And is there ever room for you to be, to have different standards in different jurisdictions, taking into account local, local, local preferences, local regulation, just as a tool to be able to be to, to proficiency, say, or is or is gold standard again? Not not trying to refer to you as rig, as rigid, but you have these set of universal standards that you are comfortable with, and should that be just applicable across any jurisdiction? I think what we're trying to do with a number of governments that we're working with is to apply as much gold standard principles as possible in in them setting up their own level or level of their, their standards and, and certification processes. So we we are working with a number of governments who, who, who are interested in, in adopting. But of course, it's important to note that we may not fit into all jurisdictional specifics or, or, or things that they need to think about. However, calculating that, that one ton of CO2 in a non-harming way, should be universal. Yeah. So for me, yeah. that's 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 not negotiable in a sense that sure. that everybody should strive for that. Of course, it's it's hard to argue that everybody should be in only at the high end of integrity. I, I I don't believe that we should dominate the market in terms of volume. We've always been known as as the high quality. I, I can't say niche, but but representing the highest quality and and some countries will need so so that's why for example the core carbon principles can be a useful tool and then depending on the government's ambition which i hope that everybody adopts the level of gold standard but based on government's ambition then they can start to build on top of those core carbon principles what they need to think about to qualify as their jurisdictional carbon asset Right. But Maggie, and Maggie, look, at the end of the day, if governments or organisations or developers choose not to use your standards, that's their option, right? That's, 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 that's their option. No, it's, it's completely fair. Obviously, we've seen a, a scramble 
to the growth of this industry in, in the last 18 months has been has been exponential. How are you dealing with the the bottleneck issues that are fa- facing everyone's facing, right? But how are you as an organization dealing with those bottleneck issues? And there's you've obviously, I think there's a white paper or a, a consultation coming out later today, I think, which I'd love you to talk about if you with what you can. But how are you dealing with the bottleneck issues that are just inherent across the entirety of the ecosystem? Well, there are multiple levels of solutions that we as standard, along with our partners, need to to work on. Of course, it's it's not it's a challenging year because there is increasing demand and and not enough resources to to respond to that immediately. But I think there are, there's internally there's a great effort in trying to streamline the process, the way the rules are written. So so there's more administrative things that we can do to reduce the pressure on those bottlenecks. And there's also the role of technology. And this is something that we're very, very invested in to move forward. We've launched our GSIQ program, which is really ultimately trying to digitize the every step of the, the value chain of carbon project or impact project so that those digital tools, digital solutions, digital MRV solutions can be integrated into the process, which will clearly reduce the issue of inconsistency of reviews, which will increase the efficiency, hopefully, which will reduce the cost and and accuracy and quality of impact data that goes through the journey. So we are, as a standard, very much looking at our role to enable that, that digital ecosystem within the market so that we can address these challenges in a medium longer term. Right. So obviously blockchain is an elephant in the room, which people we've been talking about. And I'll I'll share a I'll share a little anecdote from one of our panels yesterday late last night. We did logistics calls with everybody. And one of our blockchain panels, which I won't name, was when they were talking about doing sort of what we shall we talk about, we're just so militant towards you know, towards yourselves and Vera and the like, in just terms of how they we're blockchain, we're going to we're going to just they have to keep up with us. The moment they got into in front of a public audience, it was all about how we can work together and how we need you and how we have to do. It. And I'm literally just giggling to myself listening to this because I think though there there was an appreciation that moving forward is not about let's break this and let everyone catch up with it. This is not Uber with the taxi industry, right? That that they need to work with you because, again, you've been doing this for 20 years. You've been working on evolving best practices for 20 years. There's a reason the industry is where it is today is because of because of you. And, again, I won't name the person, but paid, you an incredible, paid the industry an incredible compliment by saying that there is no industry that they have seen that is currently going through as wide-ranging a consultation, supply, demand, every part of the ecosystem, could be, it's just being discussed, could be influenced by blockchain and and blockchain and Web3 technology, right? Now, I have no idea if this evolves to being 100% Web3-based or just a little bit at the margin. I don't know the answer to that. And Maggie, I'm probably convinced you don't know the answer to that either, right? Because it'll evolve over time. But can you talk a little bit about the, the public consultation? What did you learn? What did you learn? Where is there sort of low-hanging fruit for the industry? Where is there things that are at the moment a bridge too far? So 
before I get into the public consultation, let me talk about the, the role of blockchain in this ecosystem, because again, there's a lot of conflation between blockchain, tokenization, digital assets versus digitization of the supply side. Because, and, and I, I can't stress this more, that if we really want scale, if we really want this market to scale with integrity, transparency, and credibility, all parts of the value chain has to digitize. It can't be just the demand side. Imagine if we tokenize carbon credits on the demand side and there's extremely heavy traffic of transactions and demand, but we all know supply side that's being managed by standards are still pretty old school. So how do we digitize the entire value chain? How do we learn from the very cutting edge blockchain technology leaders in the industry to make sure that we bring the entire value chain forward, not not imbalanced way? So, So for me, I think we recognize that the blockchain can bring innovation, transparency, greater finance to carbon markets. But, but at the same time, there are risks that we need to mitigate, that the risks that we're still learning about. And also the standards need to learn about these risks, but also the blockchain technology drivers need to also learn about these risks because it's not simple technology on its own. As I said, to prove that environmental integrity, it takes so much work to get there. So trying to translate that into a digital form, one set of solution isn't going to do magic. So how do we make sure that we consult properly? And that's the approach we're taking. So we've, as part of the open collaboration work funded by Google.org with partners like IOTA Foundation and, and Climate Check, We've launched three working groups, and it's it's magnificent how wide range of stakeholders got involved in signing up for these, these working groups. One is looking at digital assets, so the, the role of tokens, tokenization of carbon assets. What does that mean? What are the risks that we need to be aware? How can we do this, and, and, and what's the purpose of it? And second is, is really looking at the connectivity. So the APIs, the, the how can registries work with other registries, domestic registries, meta registries, and, and how can these interconnect? And we talked about blurry lines between voluntary carbon market versus compliance market. So what's the role of technology in, in enabling that interoperability? And third is looking at digital MRV solutions, so monitoring, reporting, and verification solutions. How can we create a, a framework, a digital workflow that can, that can integrate these solutions? Because a lot of times these solutions can, can come in to really innovate the way we, we review projects and the way these, these monitoring measures are collected. So these three working groups have launched. And, and we had great interest from all kinds of stakeholder groups, including blockchain technology groups, including financial industries, including think tanks and academics. So, so we, but one thing that's underlying in, in all of these working groups is we all want to scale, use the technology to drive scale with integrity. 
that's the the starting point. So so hopefully we will come out with a number of good outcomes and and public consultations on those three topics. Got it. Is the issue of KYC important to this? Is it is this an essential an essential element? That that knowing knowing who you're dealing with and knowing who the parties involved is that is that vitally important to you? I, I guess we're we're talking about the tokenization aspect. So that's the digital assets working group that that will look into this issue, and it'll be very interesting to see the different views from different groups in in how we deal with KYC issue. Of course, I've I've always said the technology itself is probably the most transparent one we have today. And I'm not coming from a technology expert, so expertise, so maybe someone can correct me, but it is the governance of it that that probably needs much more rigor in terms of transparency and proper due diligence. But we'll definitely get to those topics through these working groups. Got it. And obviously blockchain is but one technology that's part of the the part of the equation. Is there anything that you're thinking about in terms of things that you could implement in the in the here and now to to improve the efficiency to sort of speed up the times for for verification and the like? That's where I talk about the the second working group, which is focusing on digital monitoring, reporting, and verification tools. So how can we use the digital solutions to monitor the project performance and and report directly to the digital workflow that goes through the certification process? I think that's an area where a lot of our our stakeholders are also interested and, and want to move forward with because that will increase the accuracy, reduce human error, increase transparency, and, and also reduce costs. So I, I think those are the solutions that will come through in our pilots, in our in our discussions going forward. Got it. We do have an audience question for you. As a non-expert, I'm generally curious about why should a government like Indonesia follow standards other than the UNFCCC slash compliance as emission reduction with corresponding adjustment features of Article 6 has the highest intrinsic value plus an option? So it, it is an option. I think, Paul, you and I both agree that it's sovereign government has their own right to decide how they do it. Interestingly, a number of governments have approached us to work with us in integrating gold standard rules and regulations under their, of course, it's not going to be a gold standard credit, but to see how, how they can incorporate our principles, our safeguarding frameworks, our gender, gender equality frameworks, into their work in 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 reviewing the the domestic credit so and and some under the article 6 some governments are working with us to actually use our registry to make their article 6 transaction article 6.2 transaction so it's interesting we're not going around forcing governments to adopt gold standard it's interesting how some of the governments with with great ambition are coming to us to request for support or collaboration in driving their ambition forward so we really welcome that and and you can find out more about those information on our website perfect Maggie, one of the one of the concerns I have is we hear these numbers of three hundred billion dollars by by twenty thirty and taking the one hundred and fifty million tons and multiplying that twenty times and you know, when you, when you get to numbers when you get to numbers of that big it sort of is just it's sort of random a little bit but from one of one of the concerns that I have is the 
for all the good intent, right? And we had a we had we had a representative from Microsoft on this morning and talking about the work that they're doing. And Microsoft should be should be and rightly so held up as a as a as a corporate that's doing doing tremendous work. But I get the sense, given the lack of capital, the lack of private capital, which you've said is essential going forward, I just don't see it coming in. And I, for me, I think about it this way. When some of the largest dedicated asset managers that are going to be essential to this process, right, that they're only managing several hundred million dollars, which in the asset management realm is a is a rounding error, right? Where and I, I think about it this way: Where is the billion dollar check from Yale University? Where is the billion dollar check from from Norges Bank or from PIF or from from Ardia or these or the big big global? in many cases, socially responsible platforms. What is holding them back from investing the money that needs to be invested? And just to finish the point, we had someone on before who's a, who runs a, a group in Brazil, and they were saying that to protect the outer rim of the Amazon, that that would cost about $20 billion of project development to protect the entire outer rim of the Amazon, which would go a long way to shoring up that it's essential planetary asset. Where is the private capital and what is holding it back? I think this is exactly, it will exactly link to what's going out from Gold Standard today on on announcing our pilots for fund requirement. So you, Paul, you're again spot on that we're looking for trillions of dollars to flow into addressing climate change, not only climate change, but sustainable development for all of us. And in order for that to be done, corporates need to know where they can invest and how to make those decisions and what they can claim, right? So those those sort of frameworks are missing in the equation, but yet we're putting pressure on corporates or private investors to act on it. So gold standards releasing its its fund requirement and its pilot phase, basically helping these impact investors, private equity funds, impact investors to, to go through a gold standard process in designing projects, designing fund requirements and the projects that qualify for that and then monitor it. And at the end, we would verify that impact that comes out of those funds. So, of course, we're targeting SDGs, the sustainable development impact, including the climate impact. But I think it will be a really interesting uh, way to test if there is an appetite for these large investment impact investors or investors to move in that direction. And it's interesting because five years ago, when we came out with an idea, a very sheer concept, no private equity firm wanted to talk to us. Nowadays, we have hundreds that are lined up to speak to our team. So what's created that change? There's more pressure and and you can't get away with investing in Brown at this time of the year. And we don't have that luxury anymore. So, of course, will that all be done in a perfect way? Probably not. We will learn as we go. But I think it's a great sort of moment to shift that gear and say, it's let, let's move away from very small bucket of carbon markets discussion only. But it's really how do we mobilize more finance, more private finance for greater impact? And how can we verify that? And how can these investors 
claim their impact? And what can that be used in terms of reporting requirement, in terms of their inventory requirement? So I think it's it's a bigger question we need to tackle. And often I get drawn into just the market. But Paul, you, you mentioned it, the scale. The scale of where we need to be is, is a critical, critical at this moment. So that's something that we're working on to enable that environment for investors to move in that right direction. Does a lack of a global accounting standard ever come up in those conversations? Yes. That's another thing. I think if you speak to any investor or any corporate, they will say they're reporting fatigue. There, there's so many reporting that they need to do. There are so many standards that they need to meet. And one of the things that Gold Standard's doing is we're trying to consolidate and basically say, if you go through Gold Standard process, you're basically taking a number of initiatives, a number of standards. And we're working with some of them to really proactively align so that our projects can, our project, the users of our standard can benefit from that because it is, it is tiring to, to even understand the, the variety of standards and, 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 and requirements that they need to comply with. Mm. Someone, just as an aside, someone was telling me yesterday that under Basel III, a carbon credit, even if it's a complete offset for a for a, for a commercial bank, has a has a higher risk weighting than a than a futures contract, which is inhibiting for the way banks operate. These sort of things are inhibiting, and I don't think that's sort of that's not that's certainly not not helpful in terms of of allowing people to allowing people to scale. Maggie, what are the things that concerns me? I have a few things that concern me clearly. In some ways, this is a good thing that there is a concentration of projects of projects in the hands of large corporates, right? And we've again, Microsoft is one of those corporates. Aspiration. We had Andre Cherney on yesterday was talking about the, the work that they're doing, but I get the sense that there is a that a lot of high quality projects are in the hands of a select few. In some ways, that's great. Microsoft's using its influence to be the company that it should be with its scale and balance sheet and the, and the like. But where does, it, where does this leave smaller organisations? Where does it leave exchanges? Where does it leave, again, the tens of thousands of companies that haven't started that yet? My concern is that there's, again, this quality deterioration that may not necessarily qualify for, for, for gold standard, but there are other registries out there. That in some ways that you know that smaller companies may not have the quality of assets that the that big companies go, which goes back to a, a fundamental flaw in, in our climate challenges, that a lot of the solutions are for rich developed world mega companies that they can afford these solutions where the global south may may be left behind. That's an excellent point, Paul. And I, I think that's one of the the key drivers of gold standard because because we want to make sure that everything we do, that we're not marginalizing certain groups out of out of the game. And and you rightly point out the 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 large companies sort of taking that that sort of quality projects. But I, I don't see that as a necessarily a bad thing because large corporates do need to change and act and lead. And 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 then I, I think they're the smaller companies. Of course, there there are different views about it, but I think the smaller companies, the the ones that we work with, actually take very ambitious actions. 
actually proactively build projects in their supply chain and 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 try to offset following the the WWF mitigation blueprint. So so there, I, I wouldn't underestimate the power of SMEs that are driving ambition. But but of course, I do hear you, and and that's something that maybe is is a good role for the carbon markets to have to encourage and bring forward these local community-based projects, the, the marginalized communities, vulnerable communities projects forward and make sure that those have a main stage on the, on the market mechanism stage. So, so for me, I think that's something that standards certainly can work towards, project developers can work towards, local NGOs can advocate for, and, and that's something that's definitely sitting at the core of gold standard. Got it. Maggie, our time has flown by. Let's finish off with this. Those tens of thousands of companies that haven't started their journey yet, what do you want them to know about Gold Standard and Gold Standard's role in the ecosystem going forward? Well, I think if you want to do good and do something that's sustainable for the court, because we can't naively think corporates will be doing something just for the public good. It has to be beneficial. It has to be profitable. It has to bring sustainability in their resources, in their supply chain. So I think what we're trying to do as a standard is to create that best practice, to provide those tools and guidances that the corporates can use while we go through this sort of unknown era of lots of different global frameworks or global pressure put it, put on them. I think Gold Standard can bring that innovative solutions with that rigor and that credibility that comes with the brand. So if if you're looking to do it in a right way, I think the gold standard is a right place to start that conversation. Maggie, thank you very much. Just a personal observation. I don't think that you and Vera get the credit you deserve for building the ecosystem to where it is to, to where it is today. And it's very easy to throw criticism from afar. And I'm very excited to read the the consultation, which as fate would have it, comes out the day you and I speak, which is wonderful. So, and sorry, and they can get that. Where, where can people? Where can people access that that white paper? On our website, goldstandard.org. Yes. Perfect, Maggie Kim. Thank you very much, and everyone, please hang around. We've got more content, but Maggie can't thank you enough for your time, and you're welcome back whenever you wish. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.